Good. How many of you had a good burger? Okay, good, awesome. That's the American way right there. Good hamburger, good fireworks, that's the American way. All right, um, this is a series called Summer School, and to kind of get started, um, <clears throat> about a couple months ago, uh, in my neighborhood, there are these geese that live. We have, we have ponds and stuff like this. And about four, four-ish months ago-ish, um, we get this email from the Homeowners Association. You probably don't have one of those. And if you don't have one of those, I applaud you. It's really a nice thing. But we get this email from Homeowners Association. And there was this lady that was making this email. And she was talking about the geese. And one of the geese had gotten hit by a car and had died. Okay? So how many of you like geese? Just raise your hand so I know how to tell that you like geese. Geese. Okay, I'll be very careful how I, how I tell the story then. Don't want to offend anybody. Anyway, nonetheless, this goose died. And this lady, for five to six paragraphs, described what she found. And she started by saying, I pulled into the neighborhood and it was coming down the hill and there was the goose. And somebody had hit it with their vehicle. And then she described the condition of the deuce, goose to detail. The flattened part of the goose, where the feathers were in the road, how it was. You know what I'm saying? Just stuff you don't want to know. And then toward the end of this email, <clears throat> she said, and it had to be a mama because the little geese were just around it, you know, looking at her and mourning the death. And its mate was, was around this side. It is at that point that I realized that she was making up this whole thing. Geese do not act that way. They're not going to surround their mother. I know they're not going to surround their mother and be human. They are going to look. They'll miss her. They don't know where she's at. They know she's dead. They might walk by her. But they are not going to be orderly. Have you ever seen a geese? They're not orderly. I know they walk in a line. The little ones walk in a line, but they're not orderly. They're not going to go around like this. So this is when I knew she was really exaggerating. Actually, I knew before. So, so she, she finished up her little thing. And at the end, she says, we need to stop for the geese. And it was at this moment that I could not resist myself, okay? And so I typed a response email to the whole homeowners association explaining that if you stop for geese, they never learn. You have to continue to move your car. So when they're coming across the road, I'm not saying speed up, but I'm saying slow down and continue to go because they need to learn that they need to stop or stay on the side of the road when vehicles are coming down the road. And, and this works. If you slow down enough, they do. In fact, I'll tell you why this works because I've done this for years. And those geese know when my car is coming down the road and they do not cross the road. They do not cross the road. So you have to teach these things, you know, how, how, to, how to do that. Well, that initiated more responses from the homeowner association. I wasn't in trouble, but nonetheless, it, it, it was quite the conversation that we won't get into here. So when I came home that afternoon, however, I was driving down King's Tree Road, that is the road I live on, and a squirrel had been hit by a vehicle. A squirrel. And I thought to myself, I bet they're not going to write an email about this one. So I went home and I waited. I waited the next day. No email about the squirrel. 
And so in my mind, I had a plan of what I was going to do, and I started initiating this plan. And so days went by, weeks went by. In fact, we haven't had an email since the first incident. I've been wanting that woman, I, listen, I wanted another goose to lose its life so that I could have fun, all right? I wanted the email to say we needed to slow down, and then I wanted to just write an email that explained to them that since the last goose died, there have been, and I've counted them, there have been nine squirrels and three rabbits that have been hit by a car, and we have heard nothing, <laughs> nothing. Why do we always hear about the goose? And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, what I need to do is I need to create a logo. I need to create a logo that, that I can put in this email so that it will make my point very clear. And then I thought, wait a minute, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. Somebody has thought of this. So I went on the internet and I found this. <laughs> so if you think I'm being political, I'm not. This is just funny. So, so squirrel lives matter. So I was like, oh my goodness. If somebody has thought this far, there has to be a t-shirt. And lo and behold, they even put the squirrels on the t-shirt just in case you don't know what one is. It's basically a rat with a fuzzy tail is what that is. So, so there's the Squirrel Lives Matter thing. So then I was thinking, man, if I could just win the lottery, I would order these t-shirts for everybody in the homeowners association and put them in their mailbox so that they could wear them so that they would know that more lives matter than just gooses. Okay, so we'll, we'll leave that there. Um, next, next, what is next? Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm so into that sort. Oh yeah, next. Does anybody in the room know how many more days we have until Christmas? I don't. I haven't kept up with this. I know how many more days it is to October music, but not necessarily Christmas. Nobody knows Christmas. I'm very proud of this group of people in the room that you do not know how many days it is until Christmas. But um, I want you to let, also let you know that we are over halfway through this year and Christmas is literally just right around the corner. Does your life go that fast? Does your life go that your life go that fast? Yeah. So so my life goes that fast. And so Christmas is something that we all celebrate in here, correct? I mean, we all celebrate Christmas. In fact, I would say that we look forward to it. Some of us start Christmas music too early, and some of us wait to the appropriate time, which would be me. Okay? Some start in October, some in Thanksgiving because they're not really thankful. They just want to get. So they do the Christmas music. You know, that's Oh, come on, that's good. They just do the Christmas music, so they love this Christmas music. So every year we go through this ritual called celebrating Christmas, and you have your own traditions, right? You have family over, grandkids open up presents, you eat a meal, you might sing songs, you might not sing songs, depending on the family, but you have your rituals that you go through every year at Christmas, and nobody seems to have a problem with this. Nobody says, well, that's just too ritualistic. We need to make Christmas less ritualistic. No, everybody loves the 25th of December. They even have rituals that they go through on the 24th, on the 25th, and even on the 26th. It's just a season of partying and having fun, right? And hopefully celebrating the Christ's birth. But nonetheless, everybody loves that ritual. But there's other rituals that we go through in this life. 
For instance, in the upper hand corner, this is Mr. and Mrs. Harper. Um, Sarah Harper today, who is sitting here in the service, it is her birthday. So happy birthday to you. And um, I would say that most people in here celebrate at some level their birthdays, depending on how old you are. You, you celebrate at some level, even if it's just a meal or a cake. I get a five-layered, a five-flavored pound cake with six-flavored icing every year on my birthday. I love it. I love that ritual. We'll never stop it. However, there's sometimes I don't want to uh, celebrate my birthday with people, and there's sometimes I do. For instance, when I turn 50, I'd rather not see anybody. But up until that point, I think it'd be just fine to see everybody. I don't really want to turn 50. Does anybody really want to turn 50? I just don't want to be 50. I just don't want to be 50. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like it's over. Um, it's worse than 40. That's what I feel like. <laughs> Am I right, Steve? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. So 50, I feel like it's over. But we celebrate. And it's amazing that we never get tired of celebrating birthdays, right? Now, in this corner right here is the Holcombs. They are also here today. They're sitting four rows back. Their daughter's in the middle of them. But they are celebrating their four-year wedding anniversary. Is that correct? But it's not today. It was yesterday, right? So four years. So they're celebrating. <clears throat> So we like to celebrate wedding anniversaries. I, this year, celebrated my 25th wedding anniversary with Nicole. Yes, she has put up with me that long. That is a long time for you to put up with something like this. And she has put up with that. Now, what did we do to celebrate? Well, we planned a graduation and moved a daughter up to Lynchburg, Virginia is what we did uh, for our 25th. It was very romantic. We had candles and everything. I'm just joking. But that's what we did. We actually just took a couple of hours to go out to eat, and then we came back home to prepare for everything that was happening in our life at that particular time. So it was a, you know, whew, it was just a humdinger of a 25-year anniversary. But we love to celebrate that stuff, and nobody ever really complains like, I wasn't complaining about celebrating 25 years with my wife. She wasn't complaining about celebrating 25 years with me. We do not complain about those particular rituals and say, oh, they're lifeless. If you're doing rituals, you're not living. Well, <clears throat> God has his own set of rituals. I don't know if you know that or not. For instance, God has placed into the planet a spring, fall, summer, and winter. I know I didn't do those in order. Did that on purpose, just trying to see. Okay, so summer, fall, winter, spring. He puts those into existence. For instance, have you ever heard the phrase, don't wear white after Labor Day? Yeah, right? Do you know why they, they did that? They did that in the old days because they didn't have this thing called air conditioning. Right, so they wore white in the summertime and darker clothes in the wintertime because of the way that, anyway, I'll move on. So, so, so summer, fall, winter, spring, and those are rhythms and rituals that God has made in his creation. It's really amazing. Spring, growth, summer, uh, harvest, and some growth, and then fall, things start to die or go to sleep, if you will, and then wintertime, they're in hibernation, and then spring, it grows, and there's a cycle to it, and there's a rhythm. We have Christmas in December, not because Jesus was born on December 25th, but because that is the shortest, around the shortest day of the year, and when he's born, the days increase. 
So that's why the church calendar is like that in that rhythm. So there's a rhythm to how he, he does things. But he also has more specific rituals. Okay? He has the Lord's Supper. You and I, as a church, as believers, are supposed to partake of the Lord's Supper as often as we can to remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some people, I'm not saying it's you, but some people think that partaking of the Lord's Supper is boring. Like, why do we have to do that? Oh, we're doing the Lord's Supper. Well, it is not supposed to be boring. If you are really remembering the sacrifice that Jesus Christ did for you, I don't know how it could be boring. Even if what's going on up here is boring. So we try our best to center everything around that meal when we, when we remember, to make sure we remember the blood. I know everybody knows, but remember the blood, the sacrifice, and the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a ritual that he has in place for the church. The second one is baptism, or first, depending on your order. Baptism is after salvation. So someone says, I am sorry for my sins and I need a savior, and they cry out to Jesus for him to save them. After that, Jesus says, I want you to be baptized so that you witness to the people that you have been saved. Baptism does not save you, but it's a ritual to tell everybody else that you are a believer and that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a testimony. I have seen people receive the Lord Jesus Christ at a baptism. Like we have a baptism up here and somebody in the congregation that was a family member thought, I need to get saved. And that, way, that week they got saved. It works. There is something that happens when this happens and people see that witness. However, I will say that it has to be you're saved first and you're baptized. I mean, we don't just line people up and dunk them. If we did that, it would be a ritual without meaning. There'd be no meaning behind it. And in scripture, it says that God hates rituals that do not preserve the meaning that he has attached to them. And if you read through the Old Testament, you see this. So there's rituals that God has. So when we talk about Leviticus, there are some rituals that these people had to go through that reminded them of truths. Truths that God wanted them to remember. Now, you and I do not have a sacrificial system. Like, I'm going to talk about some sacrifices today. And I just want you to know, we do not sacrifice lambs, oxen, and I know you know this. We don't, we don't do that part. The reason we don't is because Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is our once-for-all sacrifice, and there's no need to have a sacrifice again. He, we do not have to have any more covering for our sins than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So we don't do that particular thing. However, though, there are a few things in this passage, ritualistically, that I think you and I need to keep in mind as believers. So, title of the message for summer school is Holiness 101. And in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, it says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So this is a direct command. I don't know about you. I know just a little bit about the holiness of God and I, I can't get there. Can you get there? Nobody in this room can get there. But that is the goal. The goal is for me to reach 
for the holiness of God. And of course, the Holy Spirit helps me and the, Jesus helps me and there's a position and all that kind of stuff. But, but that's what I'm supposed to be. So how am I going to live a holy life? Well, God has given me some instructions on what to do and how to slow down and how to consider him in my life to be holy. So turning your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 17. How has God instructed his people, both Old Testament and New Testament, to remember his holiness? So Leviticus chapter 17 is where we are. Got a little tickle in the throat. Tickle in the throat. And this is what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel. Now, this is an interesting phrase here. It's the first time this has been used in Leviticus. It is, speak to Aaron and his sons, who are the priests up until this point, but now God says, also, I want you to speak to the people. Because just like Leviticus chapter 19 that says, be holy as I am holy, that is not only a command for the priests, but the people. Here in this passage of scripture, this is not only a command for Aaron and his sons, but also all the people of Israel. So let me pause here a moment. We do a lot. We, that's, are you getting it? We. We do a lot of judging in this world. We judge other Christians. And according to this passage of scripture, here and there, you and I, need to judge ourselves with a stricter standard than we judge other people. But what we often do is we judge people with a stricter standard than we live ourselves. Now, I'm a pastor of a church. If it had been my choice, I would have been doing something else. It's not that I don't love this. I love this dearly, and I'm called to be here, and that's why this works. But I could make money somewhere else, right? So this is called position. What I think is interesting though, is some people like to judge, this isn't happening here, by the way, I just wanna, this isn't happening here, I'm just giving you an example. Some people judge pastors with a stricter standard than they do themselves. Now, should pastors be held accountable? Absolutely. Pastors are human, they should be held accountable. However, the people holding them accountable should never have a stricter standard for them than they do for themselves. Am I in a called position? Absolutely. Is there a, a higher position and I'm more accountable to God? Yes. I'm more, there's more stuff that's going to happen on judgment day when I talk to God than probably you. Yes, that's absolutely true. However, I don't judge you stricter than I judge myself and you shouldn't judge me stricter than you judge yourself. See, in the New Testament, we are all believer priests, right? That is correct. We're all believer priests. That means your level of holiness should be at the same level as your leadership in your church. And what is wrong for me is wrong for you. Come on, what is wrong for me is wrong for you. And so we are commanded of God on equal 
ground to do certain things and live holy lives at a certain level. And we're all reaching for a better level of holiness. We all are. We stumble, we fall, we reach. We stumble, we fall, we reach. We stumble, we fall, we reach. But it's the commands and the rituals of God that keeps us on track. So we get back to them. But Philip, those are, those are religious rituals. No, they're only religious rituals if they're not taking you into a better relationship with your Savior. That is the purpose. So this command is to the priest and to all the people of Israel and to say that to them, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If anyone of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So, verse seven they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. This shall be a statue forever for them throughout their generations. So here's what's going on here. And you probably already caught on to this. There were people that thought that they could build an altar and sacrifice to God out in the field. After all, they're out in the field. They're, they're with the creation and, and it's just between them and God anyway, right? And so they could do that without attaching that sacrifice to the tabernacle. But God says, no, I did not create you to live out your faith alone. And what I want you to do is I want you to take your sacrifice and not do it in the field. I want you to take it to the tabernacle and do it there because what you need is fellowship of other people that believe like you. I want you to bring your sacrifice in. I want you to bring your peace offering in. I want you to celebrate your forgiveness of sins. I want you to celebrate uh, having faith to God. I want you to celebrate in this moment with other people. Because worship is not just you and God. It is also you and every other believer in God. Just a little FYI, when we get to heaven, nobody's gonna be worshiping alone. So God says, bring your sacrifice into the tent of meaning. Now listen, I know there's other places in the Old Testament where there's sacrifices out. I cannot unpack that today, but I could. But we would be here a very long time and it would become very dry and I'm not so sure that we need to do that. If you want to know about that, I can talk to you about that later. It's really exciting, but maybe not for everybody. So you come right here, you come to the center. You do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. Now that is a direct quote from Hebrews. And I've told you from the beginning that Hebrews is a commentary of Leviticus. So what he's saying is, if you sacrifice this out here alone and never rub elbows with people that believe like you, 
You're never beside people that believe like you. What will happen is you will slip and begin sacrificing to other things that isn't the one true God. Because the more you hear the world, the more likely it is for you to live like the world. But the more you hear God, the more likely it is for you to live in holiness with God the way that he wants you to live. Are you tracking? Now, I wrote this a year ago. You have to, I'm not gonna tell you that what was happening in our country didn't influence this particular point. I can't, I can't tell you that. What I know is people got accustomed to not being around God's people. They stayed in their homes. And we can talk about if that was right or wrong. That's not the purpose of this. They stayed in their homes. And what has happened over a period of time is they've heard more of the world than they've heard of the truth of Scripture, and they have slipped away. Because if you're not around the people of God gaining strength by people of like faith and within the vicinity of his people, you will stray and listen to the strongest voices in your life. And when you're not at church, when you're forsaking the assembling of yourself together, when you're not around people that are talking scripture, you are around people that do not know much about scripture and they're gonna lead you astray every single time. Come on, church. The ritual is don't forsake getting to God's house. That's what's going on here. It's not, oh, I'm just fine out here in the trees and the bushes and riding my boat on the lake and it's just me and God. That is all great and that's all fine and you can worship that way, but do not forsake the assemblings of yourself together because that's only gonna last so long. And when you do this, life alone with God, eventually your connection with God becomes less and less and less and less and less. And I dare you to argue differently. I dare you. I, I've seen it. I've seen people get away from church. They get away from living right. They, they live sinful lives. They have to reap the consequences of those environments. And if they had just stayed coming to church, if they had just had that ritual in their life, they wouldn't have veered off so far. So how can you be holy as God is holy? Get around his people. So turn to your neighbor and say, I wanna be holy, so I'm gonna be around you. Now turn to your neighbor and said, it'd be a lot easier if you brushed your teeth before you came to church. Uh, so we're around believers. Take your sacrifice to the temple. Take your celebration to the temple. Take your worship to the temple. Um, there's a couple other, there's a, one more ritual and before we pass on. Um, there's one ritual and only one that gets you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only one. Now the world will tell you that God is gracious and loving and will accept anybody of any faith. I'm here to tell you he won't. He will not do that. He has a ritual. That ritual is the Holy Spirit draws you to salvation. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. The Holy Spirit shows you your need of a savior. And it's in that moment that you decide if you're gonna accept him. 
and you get on your knees and you ask forgiveness of your sins and you ask Jesus Christ to be your savior and it is Jesus that saves your soul and washes your sins clean. That is the most important ritual out of all of them, out of all of them. And he wants you to be a part. And then he wants you to be around people that have done the same thing so that you can hold strong in the faith. You know, when I'm around the people of God, I'm stronger in my faith and I do not lean into fear. Is fear still there? Is concern still there? Absolutely. But I'm stronger when I'm with people of God that have their faith in something else and knows who's in control rather than the world who is scared out of their minds. And I would be too. And if I was in the world and didn't know Jesus, there's another reason besides a virus that you should be scared. You have to pay the penalty for your sins. And that is scary. If you think the virus is bad, there's nothing compared to if you do not receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. Not trying to scare you, just being real, all right? So let's continue. Now this is something that I've never preached on in my entire life. Never have. So here we go. If anyone of the house of Israel or, or strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. By the way, this is a reference um, to Jesus. And I wanna let you know that even Jesus didn't just go somewhere and offer his blood somewhere in the world. He went up to heaven to the tabernacle and offered his blood there. And that is also in Hebrews. So we're gonna continue. Verse 12, therefore I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood. Okay. Neither shall any stranger who sojourns you among you eat blood. They must have had some type of issue with vampires. <laughs> I cannot say that I've ever really wanted to eat blood at all. It's just, like if Nicole was to serve me a bowl of blood with crackers, I don't know if I would eat that. I know that shocks you, but I don't know if I would eat that. So, so what is going on here with this blood? Well, well, the people around in the culture were actually killing animals and immediately eating them without draining the blood. So that's what the culture was doing. And God says, don't do that. But Why? Well, it's nasty. That's not the reason, okay? Verse 13, anyone also of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them who takes in hunting any beast or bird, you can underline that, hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Now, let me show you a picture. This is a picture of my daughter earlier this year. She went hunting with Jimmy Phipps and she killed her first deer. It's a doe. Okay, same reaction in the last service. I am excited about that. Okay, I am personally excited about that. Um, I have never done this, and she wanted to do it, and let me tell you something, and I don't care if this is being streamed, if you ever cross her in any way and her life is in jeopardy, you better duck, because she is an amazing, an amazing marksman, woman, 
person, individual, ever how you say that in 2021. Anyway, she shot this deer, one shot, hit it, right? And so she has her picture there. So what I'm talking to you about now is not whether or not you should hunt, because I'm here to tell you, you should hunt. I mean, there's people that need to hunt. There's people that need to get the animals. There's people this needs to happen in our life. So hunting, very proud of her. So what in the world is this talking about, the life in every, every creature? What it's talking about is that when you kill something, you drain its blood into the ground, and the scripture says you cover it up with dirt, which takes time. In other words, this ritual where you put the blood into the ground, and I know some of you think it's health reasons, but it's really not. You put the blood into the ground and you cover it with dirt because what you are supposed to do when something dies is pause a moment and reflect on the fact that this is a created creature that God has made and has given its life so that you can eat. Isn't that amazing? So you drain its blood. It takes a little while for you to do that. You put it into the ground. This is a creature that has been created for you to eat. This argues against anyone just hunting for sport. Like you shoot something and you kill it and you leave it. That's not what God wants you to do. You shoot something, you take it, you put it in your refrigerator, and you eat it later. This deer is in my refrigerator, in my garage, and my daughter is living in Lynchburg, Virginia. Guess what she's taking back with her in a cooler when she goes back to Lynchburg, Virginia? The deer. It's not because I don't like deer, but it's because she killed it. She needs to eat it. Wow, y'all are really quiet. Look, I'm not an environmentalist. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm not trying to use the Bible to do something environmental. I'm just saying you kill it, eat it. So let's go back to the goose. And I don't like gooses. Okay? Let's go back here. I really don't like the fact that the goose died. But the goose died. I respect the fact that the goose was dumb enough to run out in front of a vehicle, right? But I still, ref I still reflect on the fact that that goose was created by God and given life by God to live on this planet for us to enjoy. So you pause a moment. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to send an email to the Homeowners Association and, and start, you know, some type of thing, although I will make fun of the people that do it. But nonetheless, I, you know, I'm not going to do that. But at the same time, you pause a moment and you say that this is, this is dead. Look, I don't, I don't like dogs, and, and people know this. There's a couple of dogs, however, now I do like. They're, they're smaller in size, and, and they're just fun. They don't jump up on me. That's the one criteria. If they don't jump up on me, I'm good with them, Right? But I realize when a dog is in your home, you have a connection with that animal. And when that animal dies, you pause a moment and you bury it. It is, it is like losing a part of your family when you lose a dog. Evidently, cats are the same way. I'm not sure how, but, but evidently, cats are the same way. So, so you bury this, but you take a moment and you pause and you respect the fact that that is a created creature you bury it, you can do whatever, and then you move on. We, we, don't, we don't just go through creation and just live whimsically about it. So there's a ritual. It's in the New Testament. 
that we do, that we're supposed to do before every meal, and that is pray. We pray and we give thanks for the food that is on the table. Because ladies and gentlemen, please don't think I'm crazy. The plant that gave you the cucumber was alive. You took the fruit from its vine that could have created another cucumber. I don't know if you know how that works, but that's how that works. And you took it and you're eating it. That was a living thing that has given its quote unquote life so that you can live and have nourishment. So you pause a moment. You say, God, thank you for creating the vegetation that I'm about to eat. Thank you for growing that and providing that for me. Thank you that it has given its life so that I can eat and live. When you have something like this sitting in front of you, Mouth is watering. It's 12 o'clock almost. Oh, that would be so good this afternoon. When you see that, and that's on your table, you thank the Lord for the cow. I know this is crazy, but you thank the Lord for the cow that gave its life so that you could have that steak. It is a respect for God's creation. It is not just whimsically just eating and not being thankful. It is, it is not just diving in and eating it as if you deserve that, as if nothing has happened to put that on your table. God has provided that for you. So you pause. This is one reason that you pray before a meal. You say, Lord, thank you for providing a planet that is alive so that I could continue to live by eating. Isn't that crazy that that's in the Bible? Crazy. Blood in the ground, cover it up. You pause and you realize that the life was in the blood and now the life is gone so that you can continue to live. Um, I'm gonna end with something a little lighter, okay? So I just, I just want you to see this because I travel Farmington Road to get to church and back, okay? <laughs> so um, verse 15, it says, and every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beast, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be clean until the evening. Then he shall be clean. This is a verse that says that you can eat roadkill. I'm not really being serious, but that is what this is. If you pass, he's saying, look, if you're walking to a city and there's something dead on the side of the road, you can eat that. But if you eat it, you need to wash yourself later. Isn't that just? And on that note, we're going to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. First of all, um, I want to thank you for creating.